This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Hello and welcome to The Way I See It. I'm Alastair Souk, your guide in this 30-part series in which we're throwing open the collection at MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art in New York, to some of the sharpest creative minds of our time. The museum's collection contains almost 200,000 objects, but each of our guests has to choose a single work of art. The idea is that it should thrill or inspire or excite them in some way, and they then tell us why they see it the way they do. What's most exciting about Jacob Lawrence's art? It's an effort to end the silence. Today's guest is the human rights lawyer and social justice activist Brian Stevenson, a towering figure in America's legal system who saved dozens of prisoners from death row. Last year, he set up the National Memorial for Peace and Justice in Montgomery, Alabama, where he's based, a long overdue monument that commemorates the victims of lynching in the United States. And Brian's choice for The Way I See It chimes with his hard-hitting work, It's a group of 60 small yet epic paintings created in 1941 by the artist Jacob Lawrence when, astonishingly, he was just 23 years old. The sequence is known as the Migration Series because it dramatises the mass movement of black Americans from the rural south to the urban north, which began during the First World War. These images that convey the hardship and the struggle are really powerful. And for someone like me, I grew up in a poor, racially segregated community. They, they speak to people like me. I couldn't actually identify with black achievement and the rare instances of wealth and glamour. I could identify with these images, everyday people finding a way to cope with these enormous challenges. The images Brian's talking about cover an entire wall at MoMA in a gallery dedicated to the Harlem Renaissance, that flowering of revitalised black culture which took place during the 20s and 30s in a northern neighbourhood of Manhattan, then the centre of the African-American community in New York City. Usually in this series, I try my best to describe the work of art under discussion and evoke it in your mind's eye. The trouble is that this time, the Migration series contains no fewer than 60 panels. Half of them, the evenly numbered panels as it happens, can be seen at MoMA, where Lawrence, himself a child of migrants, became the first African-American artist to be represented in the collection, while the other half belongs to the Phillips Collection in Washington, D.C. Each panel measures approximately 18 inches by 12 and was painted using an opaque, fast-drying medium called casein tempera, like poster paint, because it allowed Lawrence to work swiftly, and he sensed an image in casein tempera would work well in reproduction. Bright, vivid colours, a flattened sense of space, a graphic approach to composition, all of which, as Brian says, makes this powerful work accessible. Lawrence's vignettes are by turns dramatic and heartrending. A steam train billowing black smoke hurtling through the night. A couple at a simple table, saying grace before a meagre meal. A vicious fight during a race riot, in which a swivel-eyed white man wields a glinting knife. A noose 
hanging from a bare branch above a figure hunched in grief. From the end of Reconstruction in the 1870s, throughout the first half of the 20th century, thousands of black people were pulled out of their homes and burned and brutalized, and their bodies would be suspended on trees and bridges as a statement to other African Americans that this can happen to you. And they weren't lynched for simple allegations of crime. They were often lynched for expressing their truths, for seeking better rights and better pay. But the thing you have to understand, it was very visual. There was an optic. They could have killed more people by burying the bodies in the ground, but they actually wanted to lift these bodies up to taunt and terrorize. And it was traumatizing to African Americans. And even today, older black people come up to me and they say they get angry when they hear someone on TV talking about how we're dealing with domestic terrorism for the first time in our nation's history after 9-11. They said, we grew up with terror. The whole of the United States was shaped by this incredible period that very few people talk about, very few people know about. Six million black people fled the American South. It was one of the largest mass migrations in world history. And Lawrence was one of the first people to dramatize this massive phenomena taking place through these extraordinary paintings which uh, told every facet of the story. One of the other things that's very distinctive about this series is each of the panels has a caption. MoMA curator Leah Dickerman. An important catalyst for Lawrence's work was the library on 135th Street, now the Schomburg Centre for Research in Black Culture, a trove of rigorous documentation about African-American achievement and a place where Jacob Lawrence studied, frequented history clubs and, crucially, saw art and learnt to paint before sitting down to research the Migration series in the middle of 1939. Jacob Lawrence took many of those captions directly from things he read when he did research in the library, the great studies of the migration that were done by a group of sociologists, including Charles Johnson, and many of these quotes can be traced back to specific journals and sources. But then there's reflection of how do you take these facts and create a story, a narrative from the facts. Storytelling is the way people in the African-American community learn history because nobody was talking honestly about slavery or its legacy. My grandmother was the daughter of people who were enslaved and she would talk about these things in a way that would create very clear images. And that's a visual that I actually see expressed in the kind of work that Jacob Lawrence creates in this panel where he talks about people, um, panel 40, the migrants arrived in great numbers. It's the way I heard the story. You didn't know exactly where you were going, but you were determined. That was the story. My people were in Caroline County, Virginia. They moved north to Philadelphia. And that's the story that she would tell about grabbing her things and going north. One other thing I think is striking is that when you look at these images, you don't actually see individual faces. You see a silhouette, you see a face, but not the face of a particular person for the most part. And I think that that is one of the ways that he's trying to say this isn't a story about an extraordinary individual, but it's a story about a community that took control of their own lives. This is what I love about 16. It's just these poses that 
you've seen before. People trying to manage their grief. Panel 15, which is the one that precedes this, that has the noose on a tree, is another expression of that. And the way the person sitting next to it folds their body, it just speaks really powerfully. Lawrence, in 1941, already recognized the care with which he had to present this history. And what he wanted to focus on was not just the brutality of the violence, but on the grief, on the trauma, on the devastation created by living in a society that claims it's governed by the rule of law, that talks about being one of the great democracies of the world, but is completely disinterested in the lawlessness and the terrorism uh, that this era represents. It's such a simple image. There's a branch that comes out into the middle of the rectangle with a noose hanging down, and then there's a figure with a red piece of clothing bent over in grief, almost becoming one with the rock that he or she sits on, and that's it. Sin of magnolia Sweet and fresh. When Billie Holiday would sing Strange Fruit, she would flip the script. She was there to entertain, but when she sang that song, this was going to be a moment of reckoning with this history that many in the audience were complicit in perpetuating by their silence. And I think that comes through in, in Lawrence's imagery as well. Here is a strange and bitter For me, it was important to talk about panel 58, which is one of my favorite, favorite Lawrence paintings because it depicts three girls in a classroom writing numbers on a chalkboard and on the left she's writing two and the next young lady is writing three they're at varying heights and number four is written by the tallest and it just speaks to this conviction that education will change things and in many ways it's what changed things for Lawrence it was you know, spending time and studying that created this new language for expressing new insights. And I think it is important that that's part of this because there was no educational opportunity. As I said, my dad couldn't go to high school in our county, so he left. He went 100 miles north to get a high school degree. And that promise of education was, as I think, influential in getting many black families to leave the South as the desire for security or even employment. There are hundreds of films about the Holocaust. And when I go to Berlin, what's fascinating to me is that there's that powerful memorial there, really powerful, but there are no words. 
No one feels an obligation to explain to people what the Holocaust is or what it was. They trust people to go into that space and interact with those very abstract objects and be moved. And I was moved. Most Germans encourage visitors to go there because they want to change the narrative. They don't want to be thought of as Nazis and fascists. In this country, we've done very little to create that kind of imagery, that kind of understanding. And it's only when people like Jacob Lawrence arrive on the scene that we begin to recognize the full power uh, that art can have in creating a new relationship to, to these really big ideas like freedom and equality and justice. And that's what emerges in his work for me is this clear call for a new relationship to what it means to be treated fairly, what it means to be seen as equal. Punctuating the series in the manner of a musical refrain or leitmotif, we see again and again a crowd of faceless migrants wearing dark green coats and colourful hats, gathering at railway stations and jostling on trains. In the last panel of the series, we see them once again lined up beside the track, waiting patiently with suitcases and warm clothes on a bare railway platform. The caption reads simply, and the migrants kept coming. The way I see Jacob Lawrence's work is the way I see great literature. It's a story. And you'd come into the story and just follow it. See this story told by this amazing artist by the name of Jacob Lawrence who's going to explore the world we live in through a particular lens at a particular time with a particular attention to the human struggle, then I think powerful things will come from your interaction with these works. Thank you for listening. Discover more incredible works of modern art by searching for The Way I See It on BBC Sounds.